So Trey and I have already given our projections in our votes of confidence for the College Football Conference Championship weekend slate, including New Mexico State at Liberty. Uh, they will be posted shortly. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts. And by the way, we're going to chat with Oliver Hodgkinson about the game. Then for those of you that are on your way to Williams Stadium tonight for the Liberty-New Mexico State Conference USA Championship game, or maybe you're there, maybe you're even tailgating and listening, but you kind of are ready to break away, we're going to chat with Oliver Hodgkinson about New Mexico State at Liberty. Then we're going to touch on the rest of Conference Championship weekend action so that you can kind of break off at the halfway point and check us out at Fast Lane Ed Lane, where you listen to podcasts. See, in old school radio, they get mad for telling you to shift away, but we understand people have options, so we're just going to tell you how to listen in other ways. But uh, never mind our piddly podcast. Let's go to somebody who is part of a podcast so renowned that it got a shout-out this week from SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, who is apparently an avid listener of the College Chaps podcast. One-third of that trio is also the college football reporter and writer for collegefootballnetwork.com, Oliver Hodgkinson, and he is gracious enough to join us in the fast lane. Ali, before we get down to all the fun of New Mexico State at Liberty, congratulations to you and your colleagues. Apparently, you're internationally renowned, including amongst the true power brokers of college football. <laughs> so it would seem, yeah, so it would seem. We had um, we were looking at, lucky enough to have Commissioner Sankey on our podcast um, a few weeks back, and, and it's been a rough time for college football fans in the UK because the um, ESPN pulled the, um, the viewing platform that, that we've been using in the UK, so we were left without any um, legal way to watch college football this season, which personally for me, as a that's my job, that's my livelihood, but there's a lot of college football fans out here. So when we had the commissioner on the podcast, we spoke to him about what was potentially going on behind the scenes with um, with TV rights and things like that. And um, I'm not quite sure how much sway we hold, but um, lo and behold, uh, um, Sky Sports, the big sports um, provider over here in the UK, got a deal together with ESPN, so there's this live college football on quite a quite a decent package, three games on a Saturday and college game day. Um so yeah, it's um, I don't I'm not quite sure how much power we hold, but it's certainly a certainly been a surreal experience and yesterday Greg Sankey giving us a shout out in the SEC championship game press conference was certainly Something unexpected and, and a little bit surreal. Well, congratulations to you and your colleagues from the College Chaps podcast on that. As a third of that, Oliver Hodgkinson is with us here in the fast lane. We know him from collegefootballnetwork.com. And, uh, you know, again, we can touch on the media rights landscape and the direction of college athletics from a business standpoint. That is off-season fodder. And sadly, we have a much longer off-season than we do actual season of college football content. Which, by the way, also in case you're wondering whether we will discuss transfer portal news with Oliver. We will, just not today, because today happens to be the day we're getting closer, of course, to the Conference USA Championship. New Mexico State at Liberty. It is the lead-in to Conference Championship Weekend, and we will start with that because it's being held about 10 minutes from our Virginia Talk Radio Network studios, New Mexico State at Liberty. Needless to say, Oliver, but we'll ask this in a question form so you can expound yourself. How different are the New Mexico State Aggies now from the version that came to Williams Stadium in Week Two? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's. Um, I think they're. 
they're a different team for sure. I think they're a better team for sure. Uh, it was interesting actually because I, I sat down to write my um, prediction and preview for this game. This was the, the Conference Championship USA was obviously um, a championship game that was one of the first uh, matchups to be set in stone. So there was a couple of weeks left of the regular season, and I sat down and I, and I looked at these two teams and I. And one thing that stands out is um, because, you know, when you face an opponent already once in the season, it's easy to get caught in what happened in that game and how you, how you don't repeat the mistakes that happened in that game, how things have changed since that game. And I think the thing that stood out for me was, you know, the first half of that week two game was New Mexico State were just one score in it. And then the second half, everything for the offense imploded. Diego Pavia um, interceptions, Turnovers were were a big part of Liberty having such a great run in that second half and essentially running away with the game. And and from that game out, Diego Pavia has been a lot better um, with ball control, with cutting down on turnovers, cutting down on interceptions. And then last week against Jacksonville State, he throws another two interceptions. Um, I saw it was quite funny, quite a little quirk in the game um, that kind of gives Liberty a little bit of... um, a little bit of a confidence boost, as I would say, to um, to say that they can they can go out and repeat the result. Now, I think this game will be a lot closer. If I would say New Mexico State are a better team, um, but I think you look at Liberty this season, you look what they've been able to do to pretty much everyone, and that is offensively with Caden Salter. Is if you stop him with your stop him with his legs, you give up place to his arm. You stop him with his arm, you give up place to the legs. No one really has been able to stop both facets of what Caden Salter is. And I think defensively, New Mexico State, they are good against the run. Um, but I think they're, they're still not quite there in terms of what they will need to do to to, to completely hold that Liberty offense with Caden Salter. And obviously, Quentin, Quentin Cooley, who has been such a, a huge part of that ground game success for uh, Liberty this season as well. O.J. Hodgkinson, Twitter and Instagram, collegefootballnetwork.com as well, to read the work of Oliver Hodgkinson, who is with us here in the fast lane. Ali, it's one thing to say and even have schemes in place that you believe can slow down the Liberty ground game. It's another to actually pull that off, considering they are one of the top rushing offenses in the entire country, a graphic they showed regularly in Liberty's win at UTEP last week, and it's held true as it did when they put up over 400 yards on the ground last week. How much more difficult is that task for New Mexico State to follow through on those schematic adjustments and be able to slow down a very multifaceted ground game with Caden Salter, Quentin Cooley, and the plethora of backs the Flames have? Yeah, and this is the thing. It is they can do so many different things. They can hurt you in so many different ways with that ground game because you know look at um, what Quentin Cooley can do. And, and I actually think Cooley gets almost pigeonholed a little bit for you know, he, he is this bowling ball of a running back, but you've seen multiple times this season, he isn't just a guy who will ground you up the gut. He has got a little bit of burst to him. He has got a little bit of speed to him. He has got a little bit of agility to him. So, Cooley on his own is a very difficult proposition to face. And then you throw in some of the other um, other backs that are part of this Liberty offense. And, and obviously, Caden Salter himself, what he can do, that, that speed and explosion that Caden Salter has on the ground. Um, New Mexico State, like I said, in a minute ago, they have had a good um, run defense. You know, there's only two teams, Jacksonville State and Liberty, who have given up more, uh, sorry, fewer yards per carry to the ground game this season. 
is only those two teams who have given up less rushing touchdowns. And and you look at New Mexico State, they've actually faced more um, ground uh, attacks than, than a team like Liberty has seen this season. So they've got the players, they've got the schematic adjustment. And Jerry Kill is a fantastic coach. Like, you know, we mentioned him um, in the introduction. Um, he's a fantastic coach. But I think, like you say, Liberty can hurt you in so many different ways on the ground. And no one has been able to really um, bottle up that ground game um, this season. And when they have, like I said before, it's, it's Caden Salter's got that ability to take care of with his arm as well because he's a very talented quarterback with his arm. Oliver, the other side of this matchup for Liberty, we've touched on the multifaceted ground game for the Flames, and clearly that keys what they do. The numbers don't lie. But Diego Pavia for New Mexico State, he plays with reckless abandon at times. He's battled through injuries and being nicked up throughout the course of this season, but clearly he is a gamer. How much closer to the version that Liberty saw last year, granted it was an asterisk because Hugh Freeze had basically checked out and the team had checked out on him, and that was not a very good situation, but is, are the Flames more likely to get the Diego Pavia that came into form at the end of 2022 or the one that still was struggling to find his form in Week 2? I think you look at the season progressed, and Diego Pavia is um, he, he is New Mexico State, and it you know it, it's it's easy to say that the quarterback is the offense um, for a team, but with New Mexico State, he really is. You know, you look at what he can do um, as a as a passer, um, but then he leads their um, he leads their team in rushing attempts, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns. Um, Pretty much give or take, you know, some guys like a guy like Amonte Watkins, who has had um, only sort of 50 carries this season. Diego Pavia is up there with any of their running backs in terms of yards per carry as well. He's he's kind of like a, a Caden Salter light, but not light because he's a stocky, you know, he's stocky lad. But I've been really impressed what he's been able to do offensively this year for New Mexico State, and I think it's it's not a, it's not hyperbole to say that he is their offense. If you can stop Diego Pavia. I think you stop San Diego, uh, San Diego State, sorry, New Mexico State, um, that you can stop their offense. Uh, but I think he's, he's going to give them trouble. Um, I look at some of Liberty's performances this year defensively, and while they lead the nation in, in, in inceptions and they have been able to um, really fly to the ball, there are games that you look back across this season and they have been able to, um, so they have given up explosive players. Um, and you look at a guy like Trent Hudson, the wide receiver, he's a big play threat, leads the team in touchdowns, is averaging 50 yards per catch. You can't afford, Liberty can't afford to allow that connection to get cooking. Eli Stover's the high end wide receiver quarterback, whatever you want to call him, he's been cooking of late as well. So there's, there's plenty of offensive weaponry um, behind or for Diego Pavia to, to cause a Liberty defense um, problems with, you know, if they're allowing two, three, four explosive plays early in the game. They don't want to get behind the eight ball to a guy like Diego Parker. Ali, the matchup itself. New Mexico State at Liberty. What happens when 10.30-ish rolls around this evening in the Hill City, Lynchburg, Virginia, and this game is nearing its end or has just reached its end? Well, I think you're looking at Conference USA champions Liberty Flames, personally. Uh, an undefeated Conference USA champion Liberty Flames. I've got it as a one-score game. Uh, 35-27 is my prediction for the game. Um, I do think it'd be closer. You've seen that line come down as well. I, I know when I wrote my first 
an addition of this, this the prediction for this game. It was a 16-point line by DraftKings Sportsbook, down to a 10-point line when I sat down to do my, my updated version earlier this week. I don't know if that line's changed today. I've not, not been able to see uh, to get eyes on that. But um, I've got a one-score game, Liberty 35, New Mexico State 27. And then it's all eyes on what happens in uh, Dorman Stadium, Louisiana, for whether Liberty can really push for a New Year's Six position. Ali, that's where we will pivot away to what happens over the rest of Conference Championship Weekend. So for our Liberty fans that are on their way to the game or have just pulled up, you can pull off and uh, flip off the fast lane. Of course, check us out weekdays 5 to 6 p.m. on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg app. But they can check us out, Fast Lane, Ed Lane, where they listen to podcasts to go back and hear the rest of our chat, which we will pivot to now with Oliver Hutchinson of collegefootballnetwork.com. SMU is at Tulane. This is an SMU team that's lost a couple of times, but really have been on fire lately. Uh, Offensive explosiveness, their defense has complemented it well. Uh, That could have been a worse game against Navy last week if it wasn't for, you would think, the respect Rhett Lashley and SMU have to just literally park the bus. They only had seven total points in that game in the second half. But Tulane, they've been solid, and they've got what many people think maybe the best group of five quarterback in Michael Pratt to the point where I think people are banking on him going to the NFL and not to the transfer portal. So what happens when SMU and Tulane square off for Eastern on Saturday and how that impacts the Liberty Flames if they win? Yeah, you might, you mentioned Michael Pratt there, and I think obviously he is the, he's going to be the difference maker in this game. Um I feel for SMU because, like you say, they've been hot. They have those two losses this year, but they've been they've been hot. Um, but the loss of Preston Stone at quarterback for me is where this game um, this game falls apart for the Mustangs because Preston Stone has been the heartbeat of the um, high powered offense that SMU runs. Now they've got a whole plethora of running backs and tons of running backs as well. You have to feel that there's going to be um, they, they're probably going to lean on the. Um, on the ground game with a young quarterback replacing Preston Stone. Um, but Tulane has been, you know, up there with um, any team in the nation with their rushing defense. Um, ridiculously um, good um, front seven. 2.95 yards per carry allowed, uh, 86 yards per game allowed. They've allowed just 10 rushing touchdowns this year. Um, so if you can't get the ground game going for SMU, you've got to rely on a kid with not a great deal of experience at the quarterback position, um, and that could be could be the true factor because both of these teams have got great defenses. Um, SMU, I think, have had a, has a sneaky great defense as well because you you focus on what Rhett Lashley does offensively, the up tempo, the high powered offense, but. The, the defense has got a ton of playmakers, and they've been really, really good this season. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be a simple task for Michael Pratt. And the ground game there has been good at Tulane this year as well. But I've got that as a as a Tulane twenty seven SMU nineteen game. I think it could be a lot. It could have been had a had a shootout potential um, with Preston Stone on the centre for SMU. But I think there's that's just a, a, a too big a hurdle for them to overcome. I think this Saturday, which. You know, you ask the question, how does that leave Liberty? Obviously, if SMU, if Tulane wins, it's Tulane's in the in the New Year's Six as a Group of Five representative. I think if SMU can get a result at Tulane, that we, you know that's already that's already been kind of showcased by the College Football Playoff Committee that they think it's Tulane and then Liberty. So if Tulane loses, I don't see that SMU jumps past Liberty as long as Liberty takes care of business on Friday night tonight. Um, I think you'll see. 
Liberty in the New Year's Six, if SMU wins, I just feel like it's Tulane's game to lose um, with that loss of Preston Stone for the SMU. Ali, shifting to other games as we're chatting with Oliver Hodgkinson of collegefootballnetwork.com here in the fast lane looking ahead to conference championship weekend. The majority of them have conference, uh, have college football playoff implications. Um, you can interject if you disagree, but we'll pass on Michigan against Iowa, which is game two of our doubleheader on Saturday after the SEC championship game because uh, most people think Michigan will win, win handily, and there will be no debate about uh, Michigan being in the college football playoff. If you disagree, you can interject right now. If not, we'll keep pressing on. Who else do you feel most Absol- comfortable? Absolutely. So, absolutely so- no. Absolutely no <laughs> disagreement whatsoever there. I've got a uh, Michigan 27, Iowa 3 for that game. Ah, you've got a field goal for Iowa. Oh, how kind of and course, generous. Of course. Yes, 27 to 3 in that one. Okay, so we got that one out of the way. Where does the chaos come or does it come this weekend? I think, I mean, obviously it starts tonight. Um, with the Pac-12 championship game, whatever happens in that game is going to define tomorrow. Um, because if Washington wins, Washington are in. I don't think there's any. Um, I don't think there's any complication there. I think Washington is in and w- w- winning in. I think if Oregon wins tonight, they should be in. But obviously, if you have S- FSU winning tomorrow, you have Georgia winning tomorrow, and you have Michigan winning tomorrow, you've got three undefeated champions, and then you have got you know, whoever whoever you decide is the best one-loss team. Um, if Texas wins the Big 12, right, you could have Oregon with a, a one-loss. You could have Texas with a one-loss. FSU with a one-loss if they lose to Louisville. That's the, I think that's the key game that's got kind of chaos implications because, you know, we saw FSU drop down 12 to, to Florida last weekend with Tate Rodemaker making his first start. That FSU team is very different without Jordan Travis. And hearing yesterday, I've, I've not been able to check this this today, but hearing yesterday that Tate Rodemaker may be under uh, the concussion protocol. And so FSU would be down to the third string quarterback against the Louisville team that's coming off a defeat to Kentucky, but have been strong all season long. Um, FSU then you think we've got to lean on the ground game with a guy like Trey Benson Louisville have been very good at stopping the run but then they lose the game to Kentucky on that long Ray Davis touchdown run so I think that's where that's where the real chaos lies FSU Louisville and then obviously tonight Washington Oregon and whatever happens in that week eight rematch is going to really set the scene for for tomorrow because I don't see um, I like what Alabama have done to close this season out. I think they've been great. I think the Georgia game is going to be exceptionally close, but I do think Georgia gets the job done there. So you've got Georgia and Michigan game, the job done, and then it's two spots for whoever can handle their business tonight and tomorrow in the ACC and the uh, Pac-12. It'd be so Pac-12 for Oregon to beat Washington and then then, then somehow miss out on the, the playoff as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, it would be quite, quite apropos in college football for that to happen. Ali... Who is in the college football playoff once we get to late Saturday night and people are speculating and then it's all unveiled right after noon on Sunday? I think it's I think it's Georgia for sure. I think it's Michigan for sure. And then honestly, I I, really, I want to wait and see what happens with the quarterback situation at FSU. I think FSU can beat Louisville. So I think it's I think it's Georgia, Michigan, I think it's FSU. And then it's 
Probably Oregon. And it pains me to say that because I've been on the Washington train since before the season. I think at times Washington have looked like the best team in the nation. Um, but I think if Michael Penix isn't fully fit, which there's been question marks over his health this week, um, he isn't fully fit. And if their defense can't step up and play, play a game like they played against Oregon State, for example, if they step up and if they come to the field tonight and they play like some of the, the games they've had this year where they've given up a ton of points, I think a guy like Bo Nix is going to cut that defense apart. We, we talked about how hard it is to win twice against the same opponent in a season when we were talking about Liberty and New Mexico State. I don't think anyone thinks right now that Oregon aren't one of the best teams in college football right now. Um, defensively strong with no question mark over their defense. The offense is so efficient. It might not be, might not be. I mean, they're super high scoring. Let's be honest, but it's, it's kind of efficiently. It's not like when you watch Washington, you watch Michael Penix drop back. I, I wrote this the other day. It feels like every time you watch Michael Penix drop back, you feel like magic is going to happen. Like either he's going to do something incredible, or one of his receivers is going to do something incredible. You don't get that feel when you watch Oregon, but you do feel like. How do you stop him? Because Bonix is so efficient. Those wide receivers that they've got, Trey Franklin, Tess Johnson, they're so their ability to add after the catch, their ability to convert the catch point is so good. Bucky Irving, the running back, is is for me probably the best running back in college football this year. So Oregon is, I think Oregon is is on the on the upper foot um, heading into into Saturday's game. Indeed, it is. So we are looking forward to all of that. We look forward to more discussions on football with Oliver Hodgkinson of collegefootballnetwork.com. Ali, a last question for you, and we are grateful for your time. JMU, they lose Kirk Signetti to Indiana. I don't blame him. He's an older coach. You may never get another chance at a Power 5 opportunity, and there's a lot of money in that position. But for JMU, how attractive is this program either for a sitting head coach, a former head coach, or maybe a coach that's looking to get his first break to show what he can do on a broader scale? Yeah, I think it's super attractive. I, I, I think we've talked about this on this, this show before, but I absolutely love and, and how much of it is Kurt Signetti, how much is just what is what is in the program and the blood of the program. I absolutely loved what they did when they transitioned to the FBS. I love how they did it. I love the mentality and the attitude that comes out of that program. You look after the Appalachian State defeat. They just came out the next week and absolutely wiped the floor. And I, I, I just think it is a really attractive program. Um, and it sounds like, from what we're hearing, that Joe Signetti is going to take his entire staff to Indiana with him. So you're working with – you can take whoever you want into that job as well. And you've got some great talent that's going to be coming back next year. They've shown to be a place where it's attractive for players in the transfer portal, so you can bring guys into there. Um, and I think everyone wants to be a part of this JMU story right now. It's been such a huge story in college football this year. I think everyone wants to be be a part of that and have a part of that. And next year, obviously, the first year that they're going to be eligible to compete for the Sun Belt title the New Year's Six, college football playoff, whatever. You, they, there's not going to be a foot off the gas with the loss of Kersignetti. And I think if you're a coach, particularly say the young offensive coordinator, for example, um, or a young defensive coordinator, because you look at that defense this year, you you can come into that program, really make a name for yourself and take that 
you know, program to, to great success next year. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's a super attractive um, place. And, you know, as you look across the landscape of college football and what jobs are and aren't available right now, I, I think Jamie is one of the most attractive jobs out there right now. It is very attractive as far as how they fill that job. That is a question we will discuss later with Oliver Hutchinson of College Football Network. Ali, thank you for your time looking ahead to College Football Conference Championship game action and uh, look forward to hopefully catching up right before the Christmas holiday to touch on the transfer portal, bowl games, and all the uh, shakings that have taken place to that point in college football. Absolutely. look forward to it. Oliver Hodgkinson stepping into the fast lane. That does it for us today. You know how to find us. Fast Lane, Ed Lane, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Enjoy the game this evening between New Mexico State and Liberty. We'll touch on that, plus some Tech and UVA football and hoops Monday in the Fast Lane, 5 to 6 p.m. on the CBS Sports Radio Lynchburg.